At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Finally happened, a couple of high-profile potential Senate candidates decided to realize that potential one right after the other. And Georgia Republicans are again learning what happens when you're the majority party. You fight internal battles. And meanwhile, Georgia Democrats are working with some Republicans in one of those fights. But right now, the toughest fights of all are over where the state budget acts will fall. So it's a giant buffet set for you on this edition of The Political Breakfast. Happy to have you along. I'm Dennis O'Hare. Some very busy political strategists are back with us. Brian Robinson is a Republican strategist, communications consultant, and former deputy chief of staff for Governor Nathan Deal. Theron Johnson is a Democratic strategist, public affairs and government consultant, and former National Southern Regional Director for the Obama 2012 campaign. Hey, guys. Welcome back. Good morning. Nothing going on. No, not a thing. Well, it is officially on to new, but somewhat familiar candidates are now in the race for that Senate seat now held by Republican and brand new Senator Kelly Leffler. Let's start with the Republicans, Brian. North Georgia Congressman Doug Collins announced he's running. He was President Trump's preferred candidate back when Senator Johnny Isaacson retired. But Senator Leffler spent a lot of time talking about her loyalty to Mr. Trump. Can she really expect, though, the Trump base in Georgia to choose her over Doug Collins, who's been strongly defending the president in the House Judiciary Committee's impeachment hearings? Well, right now, in her own personal message, she's staying very positive, telling people who she is and what her values are, and showing that she is going to be fervently pro-Trump and in that wing of the party, which, of course, today is the party. It's but not, there's does no, that there's no wing, other wing buy it and prefer her to Doug That Collins. is the question upon which this race spins. One thing that she's got going for her right now, she is up on the air alone. She's doing digital ads. She's on TV. Lots and of Twitter videos, all kinds of Tons things. of videos. She's, she's really omnipresent, and she is putting the resources into the race, and you're seeing the results of that. Doug, of course, is not on right now, so she's up in a but vacuum. He's on Fox News all the time. He's on Fox News all the time, which is which is important, and that does matter. You got Hannity up there, obviously beating the drum for him. Other big hosts like Mark Levine, and and of course the conser- American Conservative Union, uh, Matt Schlapp, came out and endorsed Doug. On the other hand, you've got Governor Kemp using the full force of his political popularity and of his political apparatus to weigh in for Kelly Leffler. He is calling in favors. He is asking legislators to endorse. He's making the case for his pick. And he is going into his grassroots network of social conservatives and asking them to be vocal not only in supporting Kelly, but what I'm seeing from some of those 
Kemp loyalist is actually they're going on on the offense against Doug. So she's got this apparatus in place that is not just her. She has third parties now coming out for her. You saw the Georgia Life Alliance say that they would endorse her. All of a sudden, they went from having no money to having $3 million, so figure that one out. Uh, you see Club for Growth going to be coming in with a $3 million buy for her. Uh, really early for them to do that. Again, maybe that's her money going into that. So she's able to spread the money out, that resources out, to create a really big force. So is it possible? I mean, at the beginning, all sides in a primary fight are all in. Does this become an ongoing and potentially ruinous fight for Georgia Republicans? Well, that's certainly the messaging that you're seeing from the Leffler-Kemp camp. That, you know, and if you look at the messaging coming out of Washington this week, the National Republican Senatorial Committee, Mitch McConnell. Yeah, they called Doug Collins selfish. Selfish. And they, they all use the same word, selfish. So th- that is the message that they that they have landed upon and they're going to say that this is about him, not about the state. I don't know that it's ruinous for the Republican Party. It could if, drive up interest and turnout. It could drive up interest and turnout. That would be good for Republicans down the ballot. Now, that said, we uh, have to see what the Democrats do. What we cannot have is a consensus candidate on the Democrat side who doesn't have opposition, mm-hmm. doesn't have other Democrats nipping at them, and therefore somebody who can make a play toward the middle. That's what we can't have happen. And, Theron, I want to get to that in a moment. But first, I want to pick up on something that you said in one of our last podcasts, that Senator Leffler needs to stake out some policy positions, at least, that would appeal to moderate women and to rural Georgia. Has she done that so far? No. And I think what you see her campaign is sort of doing, they're talking a lot about her bio. They're saying that she grew up um, on a farm, and which I think will appeal to some of the rural voters here. But, yeah, this this person who we thought would be not only a symbol but a true a person for college-educated, disaffected Republican suburban women to rally behind. We just haven't seen that pivot yet. And so let's just not underscore what's going on here. It is chaotic in the Republican Party right now. I mean, Brian is is constantly on his phone. I'm sure his, his text messages are blowing up. He's returning emails because I would be remiss to say that I've never seen a matchup like we're about to see. You're about to see President Donald Trump and Doug Collins go up against Governor Brian Kemp and Senator Leffler. But will President Trump weigh in? He said some nice things about Kelly Leffler at the signing of the new trade deal with Canada and Mexico. He called out senators around and he said to Kelly Leffler, they already like you a lot. That's what the word is. Well, guess what, Dennis? If you were on trial and you were in front of a jurist, I would be nice to her, too. And so guess what? Once the Senate trial is over, oh, the real Donald J. Trump will show up. And let's remember, and I know it's very sensitive with my good friend to my left here, is that all it takes is one Brian's tweet. to your left? Oh, my yeah, goodness. Yeah, yeah, believe it or not. Yeah, but he usually sits to my right. But no, and, and I want to, you know, listen, this is a little theater. I mean, you know, we look, this podcast, we want to shake it up because if it was on the Democratic side, Brian would be all in about just the chaos that is going on in the Republican, I mean, the Democratic Party. So let's, let's not underscore this, too. You also have a battle down at the state capitol. And I know we're going to get into this we a little later, but, but this is what I want to say. It is interesting to me that you see national Republicans referring to a member of Congress as selfish and saying that he, and I've called him disruptive. I've said that he's been reckless with some of his comments, but this is no surprise. And I want to give Brian some credit. 
We talked about on this podcast weeks ago that we thought it was highly likely that Doug Collins would get in this race. But do not underestimate Senator Leffler because at the end of the day, when you have 20, 30, 40 million dollars at your disposal of with your a, own money, with a built in infrastructure as the incumbent, it is just going to be fireworks right now on the Republican uh, side of Georgia. Let's turn to the Democrats now, Theron, because Reverend Raphael Warnock, pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church here in Atlanta, jumped into the Senate race the day after Doug Collins announced, probably no coincidence there. But is Pastor Warnock the person who, as Brian alluded to, could clear out the Democratic field? You've already got two other candidates in it and have a united Democratic Party behind one candidate in an all-comers election if that happens. To be determined. Uh, I want to definitely go on the record for saying that Reverend Warnock's video that he released introducing him as a candidate was one of the most magnificent videos that I've seen. Very it, powerful video, it, whatever one's political persuasion might and be. And it's something that Senator Leffler did not do. The first ad that we saw from her was saying that she introduced a bill uh, to you know do all these things, and, and, and then she took it to China, she took it to Iran. But he is following a very traditional type of introduction, but one of the things that's going to be very interesting, because I think that his enter, his entrance into the race has created a huge amount of excitement in Georgia, and as a fellow African-American male, which we know that Brian has warned us of this, is that if there's any sort of constituency group that's in play uh, for Republicans, it's African-American men. And so I think that when you have a credible pastor, a person who has worked this way up in his career, and not only is he a pastor, he's the pastor of the most recognized Baptist church in the world, and that is Ebenezer Baptist Church uh, here in Atlanta. It's going to be magnificent. The one thing that I'm waiting to see, and you know me, Dennis, I always like to kind of give these little bold sort of predictions. I'm waiting to see how the politician and the pastor, how does he maneuver through being able to do both while being a candidate he's and being a pastor. He's got to be careful with the sermons, he's, for He's got to be not only careful with that, but also is this something that, you know, Democratic voters and Republican voters are ready for? He needs to step down from that job. It's completely uh, inappropriate to stay in that pulpit and have that platform while running for political office. It's, it's not so much a political ethics problem. It is a religious institution ethics problem, and that's something that he really needs to consider. I know when he looked at running against Johnny Isaacson, uh, the thought of giving up such a prestigious post, and therein is right, it is the most prestigious African-American church in the world, that was something he didn't want to do. So this is rubber hits the road time, and we're going to see how serious he is when he steps down. I also want to give him kudos, however, for the video. He will be hands down the best performer in the race. And I say that to say, like on any other race, David Perdue is a great performer. If, if you saw him at Eggs and Issues at the Georgia Chamber, the guy just has a talent for communicating with an audience. Warnock, with 30 years or however much of being in the pulpit, has that performance art, and it's very effective. He's really good direct-to-camera. I mean, he just spoke so fluidly and just did a great job with that. So he's somebody to watch. I also say, as far as rollout videos, I don't they don't really mean much. You know, Stacey Evans in 2018 had a fantastic rollout video talking about her her childhood in North Georgia growing up in a series of trailers and poverty and it was so good, but it really didn't make a difference. And and this is the thing, and Brian's touching on something, so let's just take it to now, okay, you're in the race. You're you got this great video, you spent a lot of money for it. But he's a breath of fresh air 
for a lot of Democrats and some some moderates, but he's also unknown. And he yeah. does he have the statewide no. network, the statewide Not fundraising yet. that he'll need to go up well, against somebody, whether it's Doug <laughs> Collins or Kelly Leffler, yeah. who will be awash in money. Well, the name we haven't mentioned yet, and it's and it's the favorite two words that Brian loves to hear uh, all across the state is Stacey Abrams. If he is able to secure that endorsement, we know that they've worked together for many, many years. Uh, it has been rumored that she's been very involved in encouraging him to run. I think that he will inherit that network, and he will also not only inherit her grassroots network, I think he would inherit some of her donors. And so, look, he, he's starting from a unique position where he's going to have to quickly define himself. Because what you just heard my good friend Brian say is going to be amplified with millions and millions of dollars the minute that the Republican Party see that he starts to surge. So I would just employ him and all his folks that are encouraging him to, to, to now run is that you better your next ad and your next sort of showing you better start defining yourself right away because the Republicans are going to define you. There aren't many endorsements that matter. Stacey Abrams is, is probably the only one in Georgia Democratic politics that does. If she sits down and makes 200 phone calls, 300 phone calls, that would be monumental for him in introducing him to the Democratic network and to not only the Democratic county chair in Telfair County or whatever, but to the deep liberal pockets in L.A. and New York. So let's look at how Reverend Warnock's entry might change some Democratic thinking. Theron, the State House is looking at a bill that, at least at the beginning, had the support of both Doug Collins and State House Democrats. It would scrap this all-comers special election, sometimes called the jungle election, where all the candidates in both parties appear together on the ballot, and replace it with the more familiar separate party primaries general election in November. Now, the House Rules Committee just sent it back to the committee it came from very quickly. But now that Raphael Warnock's in the race, does the Democratic calculus change there? And they had supported the idea of separate primaries because they were worried they'd have a lot of candidates who might split their vote. Now, with Raphael Warnock, if he can unite the Democrats, do they switch their thinking and say, OK, we like the all-comers primary because we'll have one candidate and they'll have two? Before I get to the Democrats, let's not... Let's, <laughs> No, hold, no, no. Let's take, let's take the Democrats. <laughs> Brian doesn't want to talk about this. Dennis, you have been covering politics in Georgia for over 40 years. I'm really old. Okay. We have not seen anything like we're seeing right now at the Goldon in the Republican Party ever. Let's, let's paint this for our, our listeners. You have a popular governor who made a choice that Senator Leffer was going to be his pick. You have a member of Congress to say, you know what? I wanted it. You didn't choose me. I'm going to run anyway. Then you have the level of audacity for members in the legislature to entertain a bill that was passed through the Rules Committee and was passed through Government Affairs, and now it's been sent back to the Government Affairs Committee. And then you, now I'm hearing, have an appetite for Democrats and Republicans to unite in the House to pass it. The battle then is going to come in the Senate. And the person that's been just mysteriously quiet in all this has been Lieutenant, Lieutenant Governor, Governor Jeff, Jeff Duncan. Duncan. Yes. So if they are <laughs> unable, and I'm not predicting that they will pass out of Senate, but if they are, they are unable to stop it in the Senate, it then goes to the governor's desk. The governor he has said he's going to veto it. And then when asked the question to Speaker Roston, you know, okay, do you think that the legislature will, you know, entertain the possibility of overriding a governor's veto? His answer, and I'm paraphrasing, is, well, we'll just have to wait and see. 
I just can't underscore how like unorthodox this is because when you have a governor who is in his second year say this is the process that I want I'm going to veto it, and the legislature decides to move it through this is just chaotic and so what what Doug Collins's interest into the race has done with the support of President Trump is really just created a crazy opportunity for Democrats to capitalize on all of this dysfunction that's going on right but now with George Republicans. But do they do it now that Raphael Warnock's well, in the race? Because now they might think, oh, that all-comers primary that we were trying to scrap might actually work to our benefit. Now. we got to be careful because let me tell you why. If this bill passes and you create a primary situation on the Democratic side, you're going to have a lot of other people who have not been looking at this race who are probably going to want to jump in there and, 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 and get in that primary. What I'm worried about with creating this primary situation, as we call it, for the Senate uh, seat number two is it's going to drive my party further left. I believe, and I've said this, we need a consensus moderate Democrat in this race to run in concert with someone that would be the Democratic nominee with uh, Senator Perdue. I'm just afraid that if we create this primary situation, we're going to take our party too far left and we won't be able to recover enough to win in November. Now, the policy under consideration is good policy. I think Governor Kemp would say that for the long term, we have a problem with our current statute and it's a little confusing mm-hmm. and, and sets up a bad situation, for but example. for now, he likes it. But his argument isn't, isn't that we have great policy in place. His argument is we can't change the rules midstream. We've already what is this midstream? I mean, the candidates haven't midstream. even qualified. Yes. No, I, I agree with him on that. I agree with him on okay. that because right. we, we know Real who the quick. candidates are. And he's saying... You can't change the rules after we've already gotten started. Fair enough. I do think that we need to do something that fixes this long term. I understand the political context we're in now may prevent that from happening, but it's something to consider uh, in the future. Now, what Doug Collins is going to argue here is that if we go to the primary, the argument that Kelly's people are making that we may give the Democrats an advantage uh, if they have a consensus candidate goes away because then it's Democrat versus Republican in the traditional sense. So that's the argument that he is going to make. Now, what Kelly Leffler is going to want, she doesn't want to get into a primary with somebody who's got such built-in name ID and and support from many parts of the Republican base. She's making inroads with that base. So she wants to have a broader electorate. Uh, one where there's more passive voters, ones who would be more influenced by her media buys yeah. and than sort of the hardcore that activists. doesn't hurt either. No, she'll have a year uh, to sort of prove who she is and introduce herself and use the advantages of the official office to travel around the state in an official capacity. Theron, real quickly, you mentioned the Democrats, in your view, you need to unite behind a moderate candidate of color, preferably in that Kelly Leffler seat race. Is Raphael Warnock that person, or can the Republicans paint him as socialist, et cetera? Oh, the Republicans absolutely is going to paint him as a radical socialist, right? And they're going to probably pull tape, audio from some of his sermons. They're going to probably definitely pull some footage of him making speeches around Medicaid expansion, voter suppression in his state, and and sort of manipulate it in a way to really fire Republicans against him. But he has an opportunity, Dennis. He has an opportunity to be that moderate Democrat. And I think that the uniqueness about Reverend Reverend Raphael Warnock is that he is a man of faith and he's undefined because he doesn't have a voting record. And so I would just, again, say figure out a way to move to the middle. You can run a middle left campaign and be okay, But I do think that the progressive wing of the Democratic Party 
are going to wait and see, and they may not allow him to be that moderate. He doesn't have it in him to be a moderate because he's not a moderate. It's just not who he is. And when you are phony, it comes across to the audience in front of you, and it comes through a TV lens as well. So he's going to have to be true to who he is. Now, I'll tell you, somebody who pulled it off to some degree was Stacey Abrams, who does have organic moderate tendencies and she went out there and portrayed herself as this you know very liberal leader and she was effective at it because she too is a brilliant performer and obviously one of the best orators that we've ever had in georgia politics quick story about ralph warnock when i worked for governor deal we had this scandal in the state that made national news because it came out that various rural school districts had segregated proms. You may recall this. Yes. It, it really was quite the, it was the hubbub. News. And uh, there was one particular county, I believe it may have been Wilcox County, where the white prom was in a barn somewhere, and it was on private land, no tax dollars, no school involvement whatsoever. Now, I remember he called me. I, I don't know how he got my cell phone number, but he called me and was like, you know, Governor Dillon needs to stop this. And uh, I had never talked to Raphael Warnock before. This was a cold call. And I was like, how can the governor step in and stop a private dance at a barn? And he kept saying, he needs to stop this. And we we were talking in circles to, to no end. And it was just an, an inane argument. And I finally was just like, all right, I'm, I'm out of here. The state government has no business regulating teenage parties. I'm sorry. If he thinks that that's the role of the state, that is not somebody who can pretend to be a moderate. This is the challenge that people have when you decide to enter the political arena. And, and one of the things that Michael Thurman always says to me is that if, as long as you can stay in a warm, dry place, you're living a good life if you're involved in politics. But when you go statewide, that water is deep and it's cold. This was just a warning shot that Brian just kind of outlaid that I think is going to be more to come with his candidacy. And I just hope he's prepared for it. And amid the fight over who wins office, there's a fight over how to pay for the budget. That's going on at the Gold Dome. That and much more as the political breakfast continues. Stay right here. Support for WABE comes from Capital Good Fund, introducing Georgia Bright Solar Lease Program, a new rooftop solar initiative designed to create pathways to equitable and inclusive solar, sustainability, and monthly savings for Georgians. Learn more at georgiabright.org. And we are back on The Political Breakfast. Thanks for hanging out with us. I'm Dennis O'Hare with Republican strategist Brian Robinson and Democratic strategist Theron Johnson. Let's switch very quickly to the Gold Dome and the budget. Brian, there's a lot of debate over the governor's latest round of budget cuts. But in order to make his balanced budget math work, which it has to by law, does anyone mess with that $2,000 raise for teachers. House Appropriations Committee Chairman Terry England estimated the cost at $350 million. That's a chunk of change in a tight budget year. This is one of many lines in the sand being drawn between the members of the General Assembly and the governor. You heard the speaker say, I didn't promise to give a $5,000 teacher pay raise. That's, you know, that's his promise. And so you're seeing this gamesmanship and trying to get leverage on each other. Now, the thing is, a political calculation, a teacher pay raise is a good idea. It's something that's uh, mm-hmm. it's, these are those are loyal voters, and and it's making a difference. I mean, there are a lot of teachers in this state who are African American, and I've heard some African American teachers who have said, "I'm very thankful to Governor Kemp for what he's done." That said, 
we're at a place where the governor is asking the General Assembly to make cuts to programs that many of them cherish, that many of them think are very important for their communities. We're also debating whether or not we have a second round of tax cuts, which would require Mm -hmm. even deeper cuts. And this is all in a context where Governor Kemp is also asking many of these legislators to choose between him and the speaker on weighing in on the Senate race. He's really trying to get endorsements mm-hmm. for for Kelly Lapler. So these things that might not be connected on the surface are very connected once you get into the goal. Many draw. lines in the sand where and, and, and Theron's right. I don't know that it's never happened in Georgia because the Glenn Richardson era when he was speaker and Governor Purdue was in office was very uh, content, contentious and, as and, well. And Tom Murphy and Dell Miller was definitely oh, rocky. They went at it. Yes. They went at it. But but what they aren't saying though is like during the deal years, you did not see this. You know, there was a a close collaboration between Deal and Lieutenant Governor Cagle, and between Ralston, which was helped a lot after the governor managed to move, shall we say, some of Casey Cagle's opponents in the Senate on the Republican side, but that's a different story for another time. Those things were done behind closed doors. Consensus was built. We're seeing a much more confrontational relationship today. Theron, Democrats can argue against the budget cuts, especially in areas like mental health, for instance. Judy Fitzgerald, the commissioner of the Department of Behavioral and Developmental Disability, said the safety net is stretched to the max. Other department heads are saying this is literally going to cut into bone, not just the fat in a budget. But for Democrats, it's easy to protest budget cuts when you don't have to write the budget. Absolutely. And also, let's not leave out the fact that there's a robust conversation going on in the legal community about the cut to public defenders. And also, I just want our listeners to understand that every time the state starts to cut its budget, that means that local municipalities have to pay more. And so this is having a tremendous effect on local municipalities, 538 cities in the state of Georgia are looking at this very closely. But also, this is a unique opportunity for Democrats because, Dennis, you're right, they're the minority party. So they're supposed to kick and scream and say, hey, don't cut this, don't cut that, right? But what's unique about this climate is that there are some Republicans, as Brian just outlined, that are actually probably willing to, you know, form some type of coalition with Democrats to say, hey, we probably don't agree with these cuts either. Because remember, this is an election year. And these legislators, they've got to go back to their districts mm-hmm. and they got to get reelected. And one thing that Roy Barnes could tell you even today is don't make the teachers mad. Exactly. And so what you're seeing from Speaker Ralston in his comments is that he does not want to lose his ability to negotiate. I mean, he has a great deal of leverage right now. And also, I think he wants to sort of retain his independence and he wants to give his legislators an opportunity to have their say in the in the budget. Now, I do want to compliment how the budget hearings happened previously in Georgia. So in the second week of the session, you had a very open and transparent process. And I think Governor Kemp deserves some credit because let's not act like we wake we woke up, you know, this morning and said, oh, my God, Governor Kemp didn't tell us last year that based on the windfall that we expected from the Trump tax cut, it wasn't happening. He was warning us that he was going to have to forecast how he was going to have to not only make cuts, but also find alternative means of um, revenue to sustain the budget here. But Chairman England of Appropriations recalls back in September when the governor first raised all of this and they had budget briefings that the department heads weren't allowed in. And I'm wondering if some of the raised voices we're seeing now is a response to that. I mean, Brian, was this an unforced error here? 
Well, check the tape, as I often say here. Uh, if you go back to the fall, we discussed this. I said, I can tell you from my, my experience in the Dill administration that there will be a price to pay for this. They take their constitutional duties very seriously. And they feel like they feel like they were disrespected. I heard it from numerous ones. So now, I understand Governor Kemp's calculations, too. I, I get his where he's coming from. But this is another area where there's been confrontation between the two sides. So as we wrap up here, we're going to have to be very quick. I just want quick yes or no from you guys on a couple of maybe alternate ways of raising money. And we're in the second year of the session. So bills that don't pass this session die a lot of push for either casinos or horse racing or sports betting. Now, do any of those make it through? The Senate has already signaled it's not crazy about taking up any of this. Senate uh, has said that. So let's start uh, casino gambling, maybe horse betting. Uh, no sports betting. I think possibility. Well, it has a lot of heavyweight support yeah. from the professional sports teams. But I here. think if I had to say the one that I think is not going to really get a fair conversation uh, is going to be casino gambling. Because you've had the lieutenant governor sort of state that that's not something that he wants to put on the agenda right now. I think that is an astute insider analysis. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I agree. I, I, sports betting probably does have a chance. And it could be something. The speaker has said he's open to it. It could be another leverage point for the speaker because it's not something that the governor really wants or none of this gambling stuff is too high on the governor's priority list. So another part of the gamesmanship potentially could be wrapped up in this. One other quick yes or no. We had the pro-life rally at the Capitol since our last podcast. Any chance that further abortion bills go anywhere or is the state going to wait and see what happens, or are lawmakers going to want to wait and see what happens with court fights over the heartbeat bill? Uh, no abortion bills this session. No. I mean, there's just nothing in it for anybody. I mean, as far as politics goes, the Republicans have staked their flag in the ground. People know where they are. Uh, if they want to appeal to a hardcore pro-life constituency, they've done it. They have taken a courageous stand. Democrats may say a foolhardy stand, but nevertheless, it took some courage. Now, there's nothing much to be gained on the policy side either, because as long as this is held up in the courts, we don't have a lot of guidance. So there's not going to be anything that would be practical to get done. Finally, as we wrap up, we should take note here in public broadcasting of the uh, forever stamp that just came out with Gwen Ifill's image on it, a legendary PBS moderator, terrific journalist, and it's an honor that really, for all of us, is just a source of pride. That um, I think in an age when journalists are kind of under attack, says, here's somebody who did it right and is worth honoring. She's a fellow preacher's kid, Gwen Eiffel, so I'm assuming this has more to do with there being a series of stamps for preacher's kids for which I would be a candidate. And that's it for this week's Political Breakfast. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Dennis O'Hare. Brian Robinson is a Republican strategist, communications consultant, and former deputy chief of staff for Governor Nathan Deal. Democratic strategist Theron Johnson is a public affairs and government consultant and former national southern regional director for the Obama 2012 campaign. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great weekend. Rest in peace, Colby and Gigi Bryant. 
And you can follow us on Twitter. Brian is at Lord Tinsdale. Theron is at Theron Johnson. And I'm at D-E-N-I-S-O-H-A-Y-E-R. And please come right back and join Lisa Rayum and the WABE reporters for our new Political Breakfast pop-up podcast. It's the Gold Dome Scramble. It launches every Monday during the legislative session. It'll catch you up on everything that's going on. And then on the political breakfast itself, Theron, Brian, and I will look at the why and how of it all. And if you like this show, subscribe. And you can do that wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to rate us. That's a great way to make sure other people can find us. We'll be back in your feed and in your head real soon with some more nourishing political conversation. Be sure to join us. Ever wondered where to find the best dumplings in town? Curious about Atlanta's obsession with lemon pepper? Join us on Savory Stories, a new podcast as we uncover the untold tales behind Atlanta's culinary scene. From the roots of your favorite dishes to the creators that bring them to life, we're diving deep into the heart of the city's food culture. Listen to Savory Stories at wabe.org slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen to Sounds Like ATL Saturday evenings at 7 on WABE and WABE.org.